Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast. No matter what level runner you are, and whether you prefer road or trail running or both, you will find this podcast informative, motivating, inspiring, and entertaining. We have interesting guests, running-related information, inspirational stories about real runners, and much more. Now, here's your host and a longtime runner himself, Jim Lynch. Well, hello, runners. How you doing? My name is Jim Lynch. This is my podcast, Feel Good Running. Welcome to it. This is episode number 61. I can't believe it. Hey, man, it's July 2021. How about that? Now, you should probably be in full training mode if you're doing a fall race, whether it's a marathon, half marathon, 10K, or whatever your race of choice is. And I hope it's going really well for you, that you're getting your miles in, feeling strong, and ready to slay your race. Just stay focused, follow your training plan, and be sure you get your miles in. You're going to do just fine. I know it. My guest this episode is Letty Lundy. She is the co-host with her husband, Ryan, of the Marathon Running Podcast by We Got the Runs. Now, this is a real awesome podcast, and I was a guest recently on it, and we got to know each other pretty well. So you're going to love this. We have a great talk and more about that in just a little bit. So I started the Feel Good Running Podcast about two and a half years ago. My vision when I created it was to provide a podcast that was somewhat unique compared to other running podcasts, and I felt that featuring everyday runners with unique stories and guests that everyday runners could relate to was the ticket. Well, it was and still is. You know, there are so many great running podcasts out there, and that includes this episode's guest, Letty Lundy's podcast. I've had some amazing guests featured in the past episodes, and the Feel Good Running podcast is about to cross over the 20,000 download mark, and that's thanks to you. And that, runners, blows my mind. Now, in the world of podcasts, it's not really considered many downloads, but make no mistake about it, it's very respectable. And again, it's only because of you, my wonderful listeners. So how can you help us cross the 20,000 download mark and help us to quickly accelerate to 30,000 downloads? Simple. Keep listening. Share my podcast with your running friends and on social media. This podcast is my passion. And I want to keep bringing you quality episodes and interesting guests to inspire and motivate each and every one of you runners. So I can't thank you enough for listening and supporting the Feel Good Running Podcast. I really, really appreciate it. All right, let's switch gears here a little bit. Crocs. Yeah, you heard me right. Crocs. You know, those rubber, apparently comfortable, funny looking footwear that are very popular and have been for years. Heck, their stock price is like $116 and they're based right here in Colorado, right outside of Denver. Crocs. Well, I've never worn them and never even tried on a pair. But let me ask you, do you wear Crocs? Or shall I ask if you do, would you ever admit to wearing them? And would you ever wear them in public? That's the question. Well, you know what? Maybe you and I should rethink our thoughts about Crocs. Why would that be? Well, 22-year-old runner Benjamin Pachev from Orem, Utah, ran the Utah Valley Half Marathon in one hour, six minutes, and 33 seconds. Seriously, can you imagine running a half marathon that fast? Well, I'm sure some of you listeners come close or even blow that away, but my fastest half was around one hour and 41 minutes, and I thought that was fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's one other point here that I want to bring up. Benjamin ran that super fast time in Crocs. Seriously, you heard me right. Crocs. And in May, he also ran a 5,000 meter race in 14 minutes and 47 seconds. That's just a little bit over two minutes from the world record. And 5,000 meters is basically a 5K. And yes, listeners, you know what I'm going to say. He ran that in Crocs. Yep, Crocs. Well, the Crocs appear to be a family thing. According to a recent Runner's World article, Benjamin's father, Sasha, he explained why he chose to race in Crocs. 
He said, I was trying to figure out if there was a better way to run than in regular running shoes. When watching his children wearing Crocs, Sasha noticed how natural their form was and they ran at fast speeds. And he said, I can tell their form was better in Crocs. Looks more natural. He also said there's something to it. They're really not that much different speed-wise from racing flats. Well, his children are clearly following his speedy footsteps, opting to wear the Crocs. By the way, the Pachev family consists of 10 children, and they all wear these clogs. And by the way, Sasha is no slouch. He himself won the Masters race, also at the Utah Valley Half Marathon, and of course in his Crocs, with an impressive time of one hour, 21 minutes, and 57 seconds. Well, you know what? Crocs should give this family an endorsement deal, right? Well, you can find links to articles and video in this episode's show notes at feelgoodrunning.com. So what do you think about Crocs now? Hmm? You going to give them a try or has this whole story been a croc? Good job, Benjamin and the entire Pachev family. You all rock in your Crocs. Yeah, I had to say it. Okay, runners, my guest this episode is Letty Lundy. She and her husband, Ryan, host a very good and growing running podcast called Marathon Running Podcast by We Got the Runs. Creative name, right? Well, you can find her website by going to marathonrunning.us and you can get her podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. I'll have links in the show notes for this episode at feelgoodrunning.com. Well, Letty reached out to me after hearing my podcast and asked if she could interview me. And of course, I said yes, but there was a catch. Yes, as long as she would be a guest on my podcast. Letty started running in her mid-20s and started marathoning in 2009 during law school. Running marathons became an escape for her. And by the time she finished law school, she completed about 20 marathons, all with only two training runs a week. And she averaged four-hour marathons for most of them. Wow. She became an immigration attorney and kept running marathons here and there, got married, and now has two children, a four-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy. Letty started taking running seriously after her second child because she wanted to qualify for Boston, pretty much like all of us serious marathoners. She sought out a coach and landed with elite coach and two-hour and nine-minute marathoner, Ron Tabb. Now, here's something interesting. Ron is the person that influenced running superstar to run marathons, Meb Kafleski, and he also coached track gold medalist Mary Decker Slaney back in the 80s, whom he was married to at the time. Well, Letty really started to train for the first time, and she ran a three-hour and 23-minute marathon at the 2019 Mountains to Beach Marathon. And later that same year, she PR'd with a three-hour, 18-minute, and 13-second marathon at the Chicago Marathon, and she plans to meet or exceed that time this fall in Boston. Letty started the Marathon Running Podcast because of her love of running, and she needed a creative outlet and wanted to entertain, educate, and inspire runners everywhere. Now, here is my conversation with my friend and fellow podcaster, Letty Lundy. down where you're at yes right now it's about 88 degrees outside and humidity is probably the same it's uh it's it's tough right now in florida but you know it's it's like they say it's a poor man's hill training so it makes us tougher down here <laughs> so you're over in fort myers florida. i am yes yeah yes. fort myers i love that area it's really nice down there sanibel island and, and naples just a little bit more south of where you're at Great area. I think uh, spring training is down there, too, for some baseball teams in the Fort Myers area, right? Yes, it sure is. Actually, my husband is a radiologist and his company is in charge of the spring training. So anytime there's an incident, he has to rush back to work. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But I used to go down to Fort Myers all the time. Just a just a great area down there. Oh, yeah. So you've seen the sunsets that we get to see. And, um, you know, it, it's not a surprise that there's a lot of authors that retire and move down here. 
Absolutely. So you're, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself because you're German, Ecuadorian, your dad was German, your mom was Ecuadorian, and you were raised in Germany till you were 15 years old and then moved to Ecuador. And then at 17, you moved to the United States, started running in your 20s and started marathoning in 2009. And now, besides running a marathon, you're an attorney. So uh, tell me how your life just all evolved. Yeah, so it's been a fun journey. Um, I don't think my parents purposely meant for it to turn out that way, but I guess that's what happens when you have two people from completely different places getting together and, um, you know, then wanting to expose their kids to each of their cultures. So I'm a product of that. And at the time when I was moving at such a young age, I absolutely didn't like it. But now I love traveling. I love that it did happen. It helped me learn the languages and just to be able to to relate to different cultures. It's a big bonus, I think. And uh, on that same line, I started working at a law office because languages got me in there. Everybody needed a Spanish paralegal. So that was an easy job. And then it kind of grew. I was working at an immigration slash criminal law firm. And they needed somebody to become a legal assistant there. So I took on that challenge and I absolutely loved it. And then, you know how it is, you work somewhere. And I was, I think, still in my mid-20s. And there were all these attorneys coming out of law firms that didn't even know how to use a copier. So I thought to myself, okay, you know, maybe maybe law school is not going to be that hard. (laughs) So I did go to law school and then I graduated from law school, became an immigration attorney myself. And then I realized, oh, it is hard to be a lawyer because, you know, now you got to take care of the legal side and all the in-court stuff. But it was it's not something that you can't learn. So, of course, I embraced that. And while I was studying for law school and the bar later on, you know, you do a lot of sitting and I allowed myself to retain one hobby and that hobby was running and then, you know, marathons. I was living in L.A. at the time and uh, I guess I had been running half marathons before law school and then moving to L.A., there's the L.A. Roadrunners. And I watched the type of people that were running marathons. And in my head, it had always been the skinny, lean elite runners that you see on TV that ran marathons. And I realized that's not how it is in real life. Anyone can really run a marathon. You just got to do it. And you got to realize you're not going to run a two hour marathon. It might be four hours, five hours, whatever it be. So I started running marathons and they were my excuse to get up from sitting while studying. And that's basically how I got rolling in the sport. That's amazing. And uh, being an immigration attorney, especially over the last four or five years, you've been busy and probably um, somewhat stressful with everything that's going on and running being a part of your life has been a good stress reliever for you too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Running's always been a big stress reliever, a way of getting away, having some thoughts, having that peace, almost like yoga, I guess, would be for some people. And it definitely created a good work-life balance. And, you know, you know how it is. You're a runner and a podcaster, you fall in love with running so much, you keep talking about running. And eventually, you know, for me, it was I wanted to have a side project, because while you work hard for people that are in very unfortunate situations, you also want to have some sort of creative outlet where you can have something positive or some sort of positive impact for other people as well. You and me are are alike because not only are we runners and we have a history of running marathons, but we both put together a podcast and you're right now at 54 episodes, but that's not really true because you also have your five minute Friday, which is uh, part of that too. And the name of your podcast is Marathon Running by We Got the Runs. Very unique name and it's very good. And you had me on as a guest. We had such a great time talking about running and, you know, for me, the earlier days, because I'm 300 years older than you, and we uh, we just had a great conversation, and I've listened to some of your episodes, and they're awesome. So we're both putting out there 
not only our, our love of running for our own individual self, but we're putting platforms out there for other runners to listen to stories of other runners. And I, I think that's really important, especially now. I, I just read recently um, there's a study that 28 percent of runners nowadays started during the pandemic. So we're bringing something to them to really get them motivated, excited, and and just continue to have that uh, that great feeling about running. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm glad that you mentioned that statistic because I've been meaning to look up how many people start running since the pandemic. And if you think about it, these are brand new people that don't know so much about running. So with us having a platform to provide them with information, inspiration, education, we can do so much for them. And just to give you an example, last week I had on somebody, he was a self-defense coach. So basically he had his own gym slash YouTube channel with 300,000 plus listeners. And I was asking him all these questions about what to do when it comes to self-defense for running, because a lot of us started running during the pandemic when we didn't have a schedule. Now we're going back to work and some of us have to run at five o'clock in the morning. Some of us have to run after work at night when it gets dark and to just get started thinking and making that first step about what could happen to you. You know, just having that thought alone of how you are going to react, almost like the visualization of the finish line, like they always say you should do. It's good to have that visualization of what happens when somebody attacks you. Yes, it's not a good image to have in your head, but it's your one step ahead to know how you're going to react. So we have all these new runners that haven't probably thought about that yet. So we can help them get into a place where running can really just be the best experience for them. Absolutely. And there's so many different topics that we can go on a little bit. Uh, further along in, in our discussion today, I do want to go back to the self-defense part of it because uh, I think that will be a very good discussion because I know you had an issue nine years ago and I want to go back and talk about that. And I'm a real proponent of uh, self-defense and in, in running and I've focused on a couple episodes regarding that. But let's let's go back for you and let's talk about you. And when was your first marathon? So my first marathon was in 2009 and it was the LA Marathon. And what was that like? Yeah, it was a whirlwind. It was something that was more spontaneous, which was kind of my previous style of running. Like I told you, my main priority was making it through law school. So to me, finishing a marathon in nine hours or eight hours, whatever the, the time cutoff is, or four hours, it didn't really make a bit big difference. So I had just moved to LA in March. And then I learned about these roadrunners that I talked to you about earlier. And I tried to join them. They told me I couldn't join them because it was too close to the marathon actually happening. The marathon was supposed to be only two months out. So what I do, I joined them anyway. I joined the run walk group and I did the first weekend of ever running a distance of 16 miles in a run walk group. And then the next week I moved down groups a little bit more and more and more. And I guess, I guess with six weeks of long runs, or I think maybe seven, I ended up running in group four and finished that marathon in, I think it was either four or five or four or seven, but it was just, I stuck with the pacer and I learned a lot. <laughs> Well, you know, it, what was it like when you crossed the finish line for the first time? Because we all have our experiences when we're out there and we do not know what a marathon's like. And we know when we get to that start line, we're nervous. And then we go through all of our body changes and mental changes during our first marathon, well, every marathon, but our first marathon. And then you cross the finish line of the L.A. Marathon. How did that feel? It felt unbelievable. I mean, you don't, I mean, I'm out of words. I was out of words back then when it happened. You feel tired, sore, but you have this burst of energy and just this euphoria of having conquered something that you have just been avoiding and never even thought as putting as your goal because it was just so big. So it was unreal. And then it kicked in a couple of days later, when people start congratulating you, 
that you actually really did this. And then you have this feeling of imposter syndrome where you feel that, well, did I wing my way through? Did I really do this? So then, of course, you know how it is. You sign up for the next one. And once you do a couple of them, then you really realize, okay, I'm really a marathoner. It wasn't a glitch in the system. You actually put your body through it and it feels amazing. I know how you feel because when I crossed the finish line of my first marathon in 1989, which was the Los Angeles Marathon, it was a heck of an experience. And I remember crossing the finish line and I came in right under four hours. It's like a 358 or something like that. And I said to myself, I'm never going to do one of these again. I'm never going to put myself through it. And I signed up for one the next day. So <laughs> it's kind of how you get the bug. But yep. your progression, you know, you said that you came in a little bit over four hours for your first marathon. But you are quite the runner because I, I'm looking at a few of your times and You've had several Boston qualifiers. I believe you did the Mountain to the Beach Marathon, did a 323, did Los Angeles in 2020, 319.01, which is fantastic. And then I'm not sure, but I think this is your PR, the Chicago Marathon in 2019 at 318.13. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. So tell me about your transformation from being a four hour marathon and cutting almost 50 or so minutes off of your time. So that was a big shift in thinking and trainings. So, so here's how this happened. I kept running and, you know, then I got married, then I had my two kids and, you know, my time, my go-to time would always be four, four hours, give take around four hours. So then in 2018, I had my boy, Kai, and my husband and I, we knew we wanted to cap out at two children. We've got two arms. We're good with two kids. So I started running leisurely again. And then I realized running to me was almost like an escape where I would run early in the mornings. And my husband asked me, do you want a double stroller? Because when I had my daughter, I would take her with me on the stroller runs. And I said to him, you know, Running from now on is going to be my own personal time that I need in order to be a better mom. So I don't want a run, running stroller, but I do want to be able to run at five o'clock in the morning. Of course, the children would be sleeping. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that to my husband because he works really hard. Yeah. So it became that. And I was trying to lose weight. Of course, you're pregnant, you gain weight. I had about 10 pounds to go. And then I decided, you know, maybe I should try to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I'm not going to be working for the next year or so because I'm staying home with the kids. So I need to have some sort of goal. I looked at the Boston qualifying times and ironically, I had started running right before I turned 30. And the qualifying time at that point, I was 37, was the same. And that was because obviously, as you know, a lot of people try to qualify for the Boston Marathon and they keep, or I'm sorry, a lot of people try to apply for the Boston Marathon. They keep raising those times or lowering those times so people can, so they can have a certain field size. So as a joke, back when I first started running, my friends had said, you should try to qualify for Boston. And I told him I'm going to age into it. So I had aged eight years and the qualifying time was still at the same. So I said, okay, I'm going to take it serious and I'm going to start training. So I joined the track club. And my first question to the coach head coach of the track club was when you do your runs, do you run them all at the same pace? He looked at me and he laughed and he said, you need to talk to someone. And he sent me to this man that lived in town who was a run coach who became my coach. So that's Ron Tab. And I had to Wikipedia him. He is a 209 retired marathoner and he used to coach Meb in high school. Mm. So I didn't want to call him because I thought, okay, who am I to ask him this question? I should probably just Google this question, but since I had said I would call him, I did end up calling him and he was the nicest person that could have come into my life at that time I ever met. And uh, he said, you know, I'll help you get there. 
and he started writing workouts for me. So the thing that changed with this coaching experience was that I had an elite coach in my corner who believed in me, who made me feel that with my slow pace, when he was used to seeing people running in the four minute pace, I was still a super athlete. So that changed everything because I started identifying as a runner. I started to try to do the best that I could. And with that, I just followed the expert's advice and everything that he had written down for me. And I did all the workouts. And whenever he would tell me, you can break the 330 mark, I didn't believe it. But I just followed his advice. As an attorney, we have a lot of situations where we deal with clients and we always think, why don't they leave it up to the experts? Why does everybody always try to become their own expert? If you need something done, get it done right and have it be done by the experts. So in my head, he was the expert. No matter what he said, I would follow it and... That's how I ended up crossing that finish line at a time that I had never imagined I could do. And in my head, that is my real marathon experience because while the first marathon really moved me, I was not as into it and I hadn't really trained much. Whereas with this experience, I crossed the finish line and I started sobbing and shaking and it was a completely different mindset that I suddenly had that told me I can do anything and I will stop at nothing now. So I find it very interesting being a four hour marathoner. When did you start seeing improvement? And at what point did you start believing in yourself more that I can get better and better and better? You know, that's really kind of hard to say because while I had a Garmin before I started running with him, I honestly was one of the people that never looked at the time. I had done marathons and I knew from the finish time what my time was, but I couldn't tell you my 5K PR. I couldn't tell you my 10K PR because every single one of those races, I just approached them with the goal to have fun and to finish them. So with the workouts, I started seeing numbers that were fast that I couldn't maintain. And then maybe two, three, four weeks, I started realizing that whatever pace he had assigned to me, I could maintain it for longer and longer and longer. And I didn't believe in myself even up until that day because his coaching approach was that my long runs weren't longer than 16, 17 miles. So while I did those in the assigned time, I couldn't imagine really holding that pace but he just kept saying trust me trust me I don't make you run longer because I don't want to destroy your muscles just go with it and the fact that he had coached you know Mary Decker was his ex-wife and he'd coached her through world records and and Meb the fact that he had that expertise I just figured why am I going to question this guy because I'm just a leisure runner so I really had nothing to lose with it except for, you know, the the few extra pounds that I was trying to lose. Well, with a world-class coach like Ron Tabb, and I, I think he was also a world-class runner, listening to his coaching has served you very well. I myself, when I trained for marathons, would never run over 20 miles. And most of my training uh, was around 16 to 18, which served me very well during my races. Oh, and for our listeners who may be new to running, they may never have heard of Mary Decker or Meb. Mary Decker was a track runner and a gold medalist in the world championships and Pan American games way back in the 1980, mid 1980s. She also had a controversial incident at the 1984 summer Olympics uh, in Los Angeles. If I recall, uh, she what what happened was is she appeared to trip, be tripped up by a, a woman by the name of Zola Bud and fell to the curb of the track and she injured her hip. She was out of the race. 
And I know you can still watch that on YouTube and go ahead and judge for yourself. And as for Meb, you know, Google this guy. He's he's a running legend, very well known. He uh, won the, nine, I think, the 2009 New York Marathon and uh, 2014 Boston Marathon year after the bombing. Um, and he's got so many other running accomplishments. So if you want to find out more about Meb, Google him. He is definitely inspiration to all runners. What I also want to mention is for our listeners out there, and especially new listeners that are not new listeners, but new runners uh, to the sport, you can do more than you think you can. I've seen so many runners come into this sport that could not even run a mile. And all of a sudden, you know, I watched them progress and get better and better and better. So if you're new into the sport and you've live races are starting to come back again, marathons are starting to come back again, believe in yourself. You know, like Letty just mentioned, she got a coach. If you want to get a coach or get involved with a running club, do it because you're going to watch yourself improve. And as you improve, you're going to start believing in yourself more and more and more. And you'll be blown away. Your mind will be blown how much your body is going to respond and how better you're going to get. And I know I felt like that and you felt like that. I can't get faster now. I'm just, I'm an old washed up runner, but, <laughs> but there's, uh, you know, people getting into the sport now that can, can definitely do what you have done. Yeah, I agree. And just along with what you're saying, I feel like running the sport alone will make you better in life. It's just such an empowering tool because I feel that it's just a parallel. It's a metaphor and whatever we can achieve in running makes us realize that we can do that in real life too, with other aspects, you know, the principles of training hard, your physical abilities of pushing through. And when you fall or when you have a bad workout, so to speak, you get back up, you keep trying and you just progressively get better. And that's something that's inevitable. And that's just one of the many things that running can really teach us. Right. You and I talked, uh, you know, we were talking about you coming on to my podcast. One thing that you really wanted to talk about a lot was the mental aspect of running. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts. So psychology has always fascinated me and running psychology even more because I feel like that's a topic that keeps coming up more and more. Whereas, you know, having a run coach and being told what to do, that's one thing. And it's great and wonderful that we have. But then there's a whole different side. And as they always say, it's mind over matter. You will not be able to achieve something if your mind doesn't allow you to go there. And that's, that's a big one in, in my book. And I guess along with that, it's just when you are identifying as a runner and you start doing the things that runners do. And as you said, you start believing in yourself, then there is so much that goes along with it. For example, if you're, running an 800 meter, you know, two laps on the track and you make it a good experience, then mentally that has made you stronger. Just the fact that you had done that alone, that the next time you do it, you associate that with a good experience. I guess I'm not using the best example, but when we associate good things with stuff that we have completed, then we are ready and eager to go further the next time we do it. So that's just one example, but there's just so much with, uh, with the mental aspect that goes with it. When you run a marathon and let's, let's use uh, Chicago and it's, it's ironic that your PR is in Chicago and so is mine. Um, oh yeah. You were 10 minutes, a little over 10 minutes faster than my PR, but that's where I qualified for Boston for the first time was a Chicago marathon. It's an awesome race. But when you are approaching a marathon and we'll use again, Chicago as an example, how did you mentally run that race? So Chicago 
was actually more of a hiccup for me. It was an accidental PR. And that, again, will go as a great example of how your mind works. And I'm going to tell you what happened. So I didn't realize that when you are in Chicago, your running watch is completely off because there's a ton of buildings and... I didn't know. I just, you know, where I run, you turn on your watch and it's a pretty accurate GPS. Chicago, I had trained for hard, but I hadn't trained for as hard as for other races. I had been a strong runner and I continued a good base, but I went into it thinking I'm going to try to go right under 3.30 because that's where I fitness wise thought I was. I started running the race, trying to stay right below the eight minute per mile mark And I was coming from Florida, Florida summer into Chicago. The temperature was 39 degrees. So it was cold. And I was running the first couple of miles, trying the best I could, keeping my pace under age 15. I was running harder than, you know, effort level wise feeling than I ever had. And my watch kept saying if age 15 and I figured, oh, maybe it's the cold weather. Maybe I'm just not responding. Well, I'm just going to finish this marathon and be OK with whatever happened. When I hit the half halfway mark, my brother was out there cheering me on. And he said, you're here sooner than expected. You're doing great. And I asked him, what's the time? What's going on here? And he told me that I had come in for this halfway mark at, at one hour and 34 minutes which was crazy fast that would put me at a 310 marathon. And that's when I realized, you know, my GPS is off. So I tried to hang on as much as I could. Obviously, I added an extra eight minutes to my other half because I was dying off. But at that point, it just was this mental struggle of I've carved myself so much leeway. Don't let all of it go. Keep running hard. And so that's how Chicago happened. It wasn't a very well-prepared one for strategy wise, it was just more one of those, you know, you get lemons, try to keep that lemonade flowing. Oh, absolutely. And I understand, you know, when you get to the first half, if you're running a lot faster than what you should be running, it can work to your advantage or most of the time it doesn't work to your advantage because then you start fading, you know, in the second half. I remember my Chicago marathon when I PR'd, I trained all summer long in Virginia under a master's runner who was just a natural 210, 215 runner. And uh, it was pretty brutal that whole summer training in the heat and the humidity and the different workouts that he would put together. But I remember that day I was running and we didn't have GPS at that time. So I didn't have to worry about the buildings. I had uh, <laughs> on my arm, I had one of these uh, armbands with pace and I would be figuring out in my mind for every mile that I hit, I would look at the clock. Chicago always had a clock at every single mile. And I remember getting to the McCormick Center and I'm not sure if it's still, it's, that's part of the course, but it was about. I'd say 23 miles in and mentally I was given up. I walked through the aid station and I said, I'm never going to be able to qualify for Boston because I needed to have a 3.30 to qualify. And I said, you know what? I do not want to go through another summer of training and that brutal, brutal heat and humidity. So somehow I went into my mind and mentally got back into the game. Somehow my body started cooperating again. And the closer I got to the finish line, the more excited and the more energy I got. And I crossed that finish line. And um, I think I scared the people around me because I put my arm up in the air and I said, I just qualified for the effing Boston Marathon. <laughs> and it was just a, the most remarkable experience you know, feeling in my life. But to go back to the mental part of it, again, for all runners out there, you just pull somewhere, somehow internally. And the mental part of that gets you through these races. It's, it's, it's magic. It's absolute magic. And I'm sure many runners out there will tell you the same thing. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've heard so much about mantras. And uh, for me personally, it's just kind of when you're out there, especially with Chicago being so cold, I hate the cold weather. There's no way I will stop and get cold. I will continue running because even if I want to stop and get a cab, I'm going to have to stand and wait and nobody's going to offer blankets to me. So in my head, if I keep moving, the, war the warmer I will stay and I'll make it to the finish line My backpack is there. My fluffy overcoat is there. And that's <laughs> basically what I'm looking forward to. So, you know, with marathons being like that, you just got to think logically too and try to think, you know, if I stop, I need to, I need to finish somehow. I somehow need to go to that shower or to sit down wherever you want to be. And usually the fastest way is just to finish it. Oh, absolutely. You know, pain is temporary, but pride and accomplishment last a lifetime. Your point is great. And I only DNF'd in one marathon, which was Boston, and it was because of a back issue. And I remember how devastated I was. I was at mile 18 and sitting in the uh, first aid tent and I'm watching all the runners go by and I could not run. I had to have back surgery after that. And it was, oh, wow. and I tried and I probably would not have gotten to the finish line, but it was so tough on my mental state and for a while afterwards too. But you always bounce back and I did run it the following year. Have you run Boston? No, I have not. So the This first year? year I qualified was supposed to be 2020. And then I, I guess I did the virtual marathon last year, but I was dealing with plantar fasciitis. So, of course, I mean, obviously it's not going to be the same running a virtual marathon in Florida that you call Boston where you kind of run walk it. Um, so, yeah, so this year is supposed to be my first one. Congratulations. I know it's been tough for almost 9,600 runners who qualified that could not get in because of the, you, you had to go at least seven or eight minutes under your qualifying time to be able to run it this year. So congratulations on being able to run it. Um, and that'll be a very Thank nice you. experience for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. And I, the same way as you, I feel for a lot of people that worked really hard to get in and then weren't able to get in. And don't give up. If you're one of those folks that are listening, one of those runners that are listening, please don't give up. Get out there and give it another shot. I'm sure they're going to adjust the times and qualifying times for 2022 or 2023. It's going to be a little bit more achievable. Um, yeah, and I actually heard that. And I actually heard that for 2022, they're allowing people to use that old qualifying time as well. Oh, okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I feel for race directors, you know, because I'm on that end. And uh, it's a tough job to put on a race and especially the magnitude of a Boston or a Chicago. And, you know, they have to make tough decisions and I get it. And it affects runners. You know, some of them okay, some of them not okay. And Boston is one of those examples. But give the race directors a lot of a lot of uh, credit. They're trying to do the best that they can out there. Yes, we should, we should be grateful for them to even be able to hold a race because I know there's a lot of it that comes with it to get permits. They have to make certain promises that even if they don't agree with them in order for the event to take place, they just have to make those decisions, as you mentioned. Absolutely. There's so much that goes into it that, that uh, people do not realize. But I want to segue now because I found it very interesting. I was on a Facebook site and I saw your post that nine years ago, this is all in our previous discussion about running safety and running self-defense, that you had an incident that happened nine years ago. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So nine years ago, it was Easter Sunday of 2012. I was running in California, in a suburb of LA where I lived, just doing a morning run. I don't even know how far I was set to go, maybe four or five miles. And while I was running down the street, I had headphones in, I was listening to Shakira music, and suddenly I heard footsteps behind me. And I just thought it was a runner trying to pass me. So I was running on the actual physical street. There was cars parallel parked on the street. So I sped up a little bit so I could pass those cars and go to the right side to make room for that runner. 
Um, so this person that was running up to me, he ended up not being a runner. He grabbed my chest and my other areas and started pushing me into the bushes. And I can't tell you how much time had passed in my head. It was half a minute. In reality, it probably was just five to 10 seconds that I was trying to wrap my brain around what was happening. I was trying to figure out whether or not I knew this person. And all of a sudden in that train of thought, it hit me. What the hell are you doing? Even if you know that person, it's not okay for him to grab you like that. And, you know, just for disclosure, I didn't know this person. It was just my brain. Um, so I was almost on the ground. I started fighting back, screaming at him. And just pushing back um, to to try to stay up because I wasn't going to lay down. And his demeanor changed. He suddenly, his eyes widened and he realized I wasn't going to be easy prey. And at that time, he turned around and started running away from me. And I was furious at the situation and even more furious at myself for having let him even get that far. I usually don't curse. I started cursing and screaming, saying, I'm going to call the police on you. And then I realized, why don't I call the police on him? I have my phone. I have my headphones are still in my ears. I'm still holding my phone. So I called 911 and he started running off and I started chasing him while I was on the phone with the operator we ran about half a mile. The operator kept telling me to get off the phone. I mean, to, to stop chasing him. And I, I couldn't stop until I saw him turn into an alley by an apartment complex. And, you know, that's when I kind of, you know, my logical side came through again and said, okay, this is probably not safe. What if he's in a gang or what if there's other people there? So I stopped at that time, the police was already there and they had gone into the apartment complex area. It was one of those open ap apartment complexes of the courtyard. And they had taken all the males that were there to line them up outside. And they put me into the police car. I was sitting in the back, driving by them, stopping to see if I recognized him. And uh, unfortunately, he wasn't in the lineup. And um and yeah, and, and that's just that's just a summary of of what happened that day. Mm. You know, it, it, I'm I'm very passionate about safety for runners, and it, it's very frustrating to me. In one of my podcasts, I was talking about when I lived on Maui, and I had this run on Saturday morning that I loved. I would go out at four thirty in the morning, and and I would run, and it's so quiet, so peaceful. And so dark and me as a male, I'm running and I'm thinking I can go do this and I don't even have to think about it. I never had a thought that, you know, somebody's out there or whatever. If somebody was out there, there, it just wouldn't have been good if they wanted to attack me. But I knew that being a male, that it's not a thought in my head. And I, I said, you know, I feel so bad about female runners because there's been the woman in New York, um, the woman up in Iowa who, you know, the trial just ended and thank heavens he got prosecuted big time. Um, Molly Tibbetts, I think was her name. And I just think it sucks so much for a woman to run and always have to look over her shoulder and be worried about that. You should be enjoying your run and not worrying about who's around you. And I went and, and, brought on a, a self-defense expert, Tasha in a church. And she's probably about five, two that knows over 850 self-defense moves. We had a, uh, a thing on in Maui at the powerhouse gym. I brought her in and she did self-defense instruction to over 25 women and had her on my podcast. And there's some really good tips. First of all, thank heavens, nothing happened to you that day. I mean, I'm really happy about that. And you are doing what I do and you've brought somebody onto your podcast to help with women. Because it could be just one little technique, one little tip that could save their life or prevent them from being injured at, at the least. 
So thank heavens you're good. And what would you give advice to other women out there, other women runners? Well, the thing is, when I was talking to the person I interviewed for the self-defense podcast episode that I did was, and I agreed with him, there's really no such thing as a perfect way of planning your runs. And we have to realize that. And my incident, as I told you, happened during the daytime on a busy street that was not busy because it was Easter, but it wasn't in the forest. It wasn't on the trail. So stuff can happen anyway, anywhere. And to know that, that is scary, but at the same time, it makes it better in a sense that had this happened at nighttime or on a trail, I probably wouldn't have turned out running as much as I still do. But something like this happening anywhere makes you realize there's really nothing you can do. You can't lock yourself in your house. You can't not cross the street because you think you might get hit by a car. But what we do have to do is think about this and plan our reaction. We have to make sure that when we get attacked, it's not something that totally scares us like it did me, where you're just in shock, unable to move or do anything. Because when it comes to these attacks, time means so much. Your reaction seems so much, means so much. There is a Something I read, I don't even know, I think it might have been on social media that says when somebody starts attacking you, the best defense is to act crazy. And while that sounds weird, the person that you are being attacked by is a coward who thinks you're just going to stand there and be in shock. If you are louder than that person, if you pretend to be stronger, if you swing your arms, if you bring attention to this particular area, then you're one step ahead of him because he's not expecting crazy. So thinking about that is the number one thing that I would say people should do just because that way they can put themselves in that situation and plan how they're going to react instead of freezing up. That is a very important point. And Tasha mentions that too. What she did when she was attacked, she recommends to others to have control. Whoever the predator is, is preying on weakness. And she said that what she did is she put her hand out looking like a a stop sign and, and she yelled out, you stop right now. And just really forcefully and very powerfully said that. And that throws the predator off. In most situations, not guaranteed, but it, in most situations, because then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, they don't have the control. Exactly, exactly. And I 100% agree with that because that will deter him. I saw my guy, his eyes widening once I started fighting back um, because we have this thinking that obviously we are the most important person in our own world, but we are not to many people. So the fact that people always say, oh, change your running routes and do this and that, the chances that there is one stalker that only wants you and plans his life following you and where you run to find you is very, very slim. The reality is that there's a lot more crazy people out there that just out of a whim end up attacking you because it's convenient for them. And because as we mentioned, they are just cowards. And so another tip along with that is when you are running, because you have to run at five o'clock in the morning, look around and be aware of your surroundings. I never run with two headphones anymore. I only have one in so I can hear people running up to me because I still hate that sound. And when I see that, I stop, I pretend to tie my shoe and let them pass because I don't like it. But even just for being attacked by a dog, when you run, just kind of look around, be aware of, okay, there's a car. If I get attacked by a crazy dog that lives down the street, you jump on the roof, you know, just kind of think about that stuff. So when a dog does come charging at you, then you jump on the roof. So if somebody does come running at you that you don't think you can just make stop, then you know where the next house is with a light on where you can, you know, start pounding on the door. It's just 
thinking about it that gets us ahead of the game. And as much as it sucks because we don't like thinking about that stuff, we all should. We all should. I mean, there's all kinds of tips. I have them in my show notes for the episodes with Tasha. I'm sure you have a lot of good stuff with yours. I'm going to actually listen to your that podcast because it was recent too. It was like really recent that you had. Yeah, that. it came out last Monday. Yeah. 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 So I, I need to listen to that one also and see if I can pick up some more tips on that. But this is very good. And please be aware out there when you're running because it is, it's a, it's, it's not a safe world and you want to enjoy your running and you want to keep focused and things like that will shake it up. I think you even mentioned that the residual effects of that still linger on to this day with you. Yeah, they really do. They really do. I don't like hearing footsteps, as I mentioned, behind me and it's just a trigger point, not a very traumatic one, but I can't even imagine the people that have real attacks where they really have physical and emotional damage even more so to be comfortable in those situations. Um, as little as happened to me, it's just unfortunate. I feel bad for every single person who had to go through something like that. So I feel like just as we hop on Google and we take time to figure out what hydration package we like best for our running, we owe it to ourselves and our family members that want to have us around to just do some thinking about situations like that. So that way we can be better prepared. Very well said. Well, let's uh, let's transition to one of the final things that I like to talk about, and that is your podcast. You have a co-host, Ryan, and tell me how that all evolved and um, and what what you try to accomplish with your podcast and and how people can listen to it. And I'll have that in the show notes, a link to it, because it, it's a very good podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your feedback coming from you that um, is quite flattering because I absolutely love your podcast ever since I found it. I, I basically listened to every single episode out there. So mm, thank you. So I started a podcast with a friend of mine in 2020 because we had time in our hands and it was a kind of a side hobby because of the pandemic. And I really got into it. My friend, kind of stopped because she is in a different career path right now. So I did our podcast by myself for a while until, you know, my husband, he keeps saying happy wife, happy life. He became a co-host, even though he, he, do, he does half marathons every once in a while, but he's not really as into running as me, but uh, he's a cool person to have this with. So we created this podcast because we absolutely love running and we feel like we have a lot of information to share. We wanted to be inspiring. And for that, to accomplish that, we bring on guests that have really cool stories. We have people that have been through cancer, currently have cancer, and just share their views on life and what keeps them motivated to keep running. We have experts on that make this podcast educational, that can tell you about the physiology. They will tell you about injury prevention, and then, of course, we have our share of coaches that we have on that tell us how we can run faster. How do how do you train for a marathon? How do you write your own training plans? And uh, so our point was always to bring on experts rather than pretending to be experts because we're not. But we want to be the place where people can get that sort of information. Well, you provide a great platform for your podcast and the wide array of topics and knowledgeable guests you feature really provides so much great information for all levels of runners. So it's a, it's a well-rounded podcast and it's, it's necessary. And I hope a lot of people listen to it. I've tried to, this, uh, motivation run day Monday really took off at the beginning and I've almost begged people, you know, to, <laughs> they can just go on and, and record. I got seven questions that they can answer and it's all pertained to their running and their life. And you think I can get anybody to do it anymore? No. And I didn't want it to end, but it, it doesn't look like it's going to continue. So um, I got to flip back to, to the norm. But <laughs> so how do people find out about your podcast? So we are on all platforms. So it was a slow growth at first. But then once you have a certain amount of guests on, they shared with their people, too. And then 
the running communities on Facebook are just amazing too. And as you said, there is a big demand for listening. And, you know, I know it myself because I'm a big fan of podcasts. I listen to travel podcasts all the time and uh, they're part of your life. They're part of your entertainment. You want to know what's going on with them. You end up following them on social media. Instagram is a big one as well. And as much as we try to help with the podcast, it also helps us to continue in the sport and strive and not even necessarily to become a faster runner, but just to be involved in this beautiful community of people that are just, they don't know each other yet. They're so supportive of you and vice versa. And that just I don't know. It just makes you happy for happy days to get comments or to comment on people's little wins, all the little steps that we have to remember to celebrate. Isn't it amazing too, when your podcast is taking off and people are listening and you have no idea how they found you and they're listening from not only the United States, but other countries. And uh, you're thinking, wow, people are actually listening it's so exciting. And like you mentioned, what a great community the running community is. And it's almost like a, like a template, no matter where you go. If I went to Fort Myers and ran with a running group, or you came to Denver and ran with a running group, it's different faces, but it's all kind of the same. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're an attorney or whether you're, you know, a professional bowler, it doesn't matter what you do when you're running you're running together as runners. I 100% agree with you with this whole running and friendship things. It makes every single move easy. It makes it easy to go on solo vacations and the friendships that you get through running make you realize that running friends are just, everything should just be so simple. You know, they make your best friends and Without looking at each other, you run besides each other. You're obviously more willing to share more, even if you're not type A, you're type B. You just kind of ramble on about what goes on and you share so much. And you can choose to surround yourself by these no drama people that meet you at five, six o'clock in the morning without makeup on. Or you can do a different route and I'll tell you, you know, which route I'm going to go because I absolutely just love what you can get out of this. And, you know, once again, with this whole metaphor to life, we realize how important it is to cheer each other on and have these friendships that are just so bare and better than anything else that you can have in life. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. Well, Letty, I want to thank you for coming on. You and your husband, Marathon Running Podcast by We Got the Runs on all the platforms out there. Check it out. And this has been good. I just love talking to other runners and especially a fellow podcaster that does podcasts on running. This has been a real treat uh, to talk to you. And I, I, I look forward to our listeners hearing this and I, I hope they enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been so fun talking to you always. Absolutely. All right. Get out there. Keep running. Well, there you go. Letty Lundy, what a wonderful woman. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation because I know I enjoyed talking to her. Now, please check out her podcast, Marathon Running by We Got the Runs. You can find it at her website by going to marathonrunning.us or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. It's so good. And you know what? We can never get enough of good running podcasts, right? Throw on an episode on your next run. I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks again, Letty. I really appreciate you coming on. You're an amazing and inspirational woman. Good luck in Boston. Well, runners, it's time for this episode's inspirational quote. And it happens to be Letty's favorite quote. And it's by Martin Dugard, who is a track and field coach in Santa Margarita, California. And it goes like this. That's what running does to lives. It's just not exercise. It's just not achievement. It's a daily discipline that has nothing to do with speed, weight, social status, sexual orientation, political affiliation, where you live, what car you drive, or whether anyone anywhere loves you. 
It's about the slow and painful process of being the best you can be. I'm going to read that again because this is a really amazing quote. That's what running does to lives. It's just not exercise. It's just not achievement. It's a daily discipline that has nothing to do with speed, weight, social status, sexual orientation, political affiliation, where you live, what car you drive, or whether anyone anywhere loves you. It's about the slow and painful process of being the best you can be. Well, I believe and I always say that running is the great equalizer. No matter who you are, what you are, what you do, where you come from and where you've been, when you are running by yourself or with a group, it's about the slow and painful process of being the best you can be. And I hope that we all strive to be the best that we can be as a runner and in life, right? Think about this quote on your next few runs and really strive to be the best that you can be. All right, runners, that is it for this show. Please go to the show notes for this episode to get more information and links to Letty Lundy and the Potchev family. Just go to feelgoodrunning.com. That's feelgoodrunning.com. And I want to ask you, are you on our mailing list? If not, why not? Just go to feelgoodrunning.com and sign up. Well, keep running, runners, and keep reaching for all of your running goals. You know, you can do more than you think you can. You really, really can. And remember to make a difference in the world and be kind to others, even if some are not kind back to you. Until next episode, peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please consider sharing this podcast with your running friends and on your social media platforms. To access the show notes that included all the resources and links for this episode and to access past episodes, go to feelgoodrunning.com. Until next time, keep motivated, keep focused, and keep on running. It is sure to make you, well, feel good.